Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On episode 60 of Mike's Search for Meeting, I am joined by Jen Riley. Jen is a mother, leadership development and parenting coach, facilitator, organizational designer, podcast host, artist, nature lover, and consciousness explorer. She is the founder of parenting education platform and community Raising Wholeness, podcast host to Mystics Rising, and emergent visioning designer and consultant and leadership development coach and associate with Bridge Partnerships. By weaving in her own experiences working with vertical development, emergence, mindfulness, divine feminine and masculine, shadow work and leadership development, Jen brings her passions to life to help restore and celebrate wholeness. She works with parents and leaders to navigate shadows, childhood wounds, and unhealthy belief structures to reconnect to their true essence in her coaching work and facilitates transformational workshops and online classes to help her clients build more self-awareness and step into more authentic leadership and parenting. Additionally, I'll be donating to and raising awareness for the charity or organization of my guest choice with each episode. This episode, the organization is called Speak With Purpose, which Jen speaks to at the very end of this conversation. Please join me in donating. I know that it might sound trite, but really every single donation makes a big impact and makes a difference. And in this conversation, we start by talking about all of the different ways that Jen came to her work today. And she really candidly shares about moments where she was in college and in some of her formative years and, and tenderly opens up about times where she felt really lost, that she didn't know what her place was in the world. And it's something that I can really relate to. When I was in college, I felt so lost. I had no idea who I was and what I wanted to be. And so Jen and I, in the beginning of this conversation, share a little bit about the struggles that we had at that time of our life and different ways that we've come to find ourselves. In what Jen is up to now, she's got a lot of really cool projects going on, but we've mostly focused on conscious parenting and her community and company raising wholeness. We talk about a lot of the patterns that we, if we don't do our own inner work, we then project onto our own children and we can project our wounds, we can project expectations, uh, ways that we want our kids to be someone that we couldn't be. There's all sorts of messes that might emerge if we aren't conscious about the way that we are parenting. And Jen brings so many different experiences and modalities into her work. And we explore as much of them as possible as we can in the time frame that we have. I really appreciate this about her and her work is that she pulls from developmental work. She's done shadow work. She speaks from lots of experiences, has traveled, and she's also a parent of her own. So she's living and breathing this work. And there's a humility that she brings. She really owns that. Of course, there's no way that we can be perfect, but the best thing that we can do is bring awareness to it and catch this in the moment. 
her daughter also makes a brief appearance. So we have a, a guest star on the episode. It was a really sweet moment. And I really cherish this conversation. It's, it's an important one. We want to be able to consciously raise the next generation of humans. So with all that said, settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy this conversation with Jen Riley. Hi, Jen. Welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Hi, Mike. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I, I love the flavor of developmental work that you do, and I've been really looking forward to having you on with every single Raising Wholeness email that I get in our RPC community. I, I've been thinking that it would be really nice to have you on because it's so important to talk about well, it's so important to provide a good foundation for our children and in their most formative years, it really shapes a lot of who we are. And I guess it's a coincidence that I start my podcast by talking about your childhood, which I think is a really neat way to just talk about the way that you see the world and the level of import of this work. And the first question I ask in every interview is what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? Oh my goodness. What was it like? It's such a good question. And thank you. Jeez, at our dinner table. It's so funny. It's like we didn't, there were like no vegetables. We always sat at the dinner table, which most times unless it was like an occasional movie night, which I appreciate now. But a lot of times it was just me, my mom and my sister. My dad would work late or be commuting late. So a lot of times he wouldn't make it for dinner or if he had come home, it was like just in time for dinner. And there'd be occasional like jokes, not, not a lot of vegetables, wasn't a big vegetable family. <laughs> <laughs> Did a lot of like steak and potatoes and I'm trying to think it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, I guess there's like a part of me now hearing this question. That's like, Oh, like where's the warm, fuzzy, like nostalgic dinner. And, and I think there was a lot of like humor in our family of like kind of poking fun and, you know, kind of seeing what's going on, but not, yeah, not a lot of like necessarily like deep conversation, just kind of hanging out, mm -hmm. eating, eating like it's fuel and then kind of moving on to the next. I'll say that I've asked this question 60 plus times now, and it's, it's pretty rare that someone, which it kind of breaks my heart a little bit and also is an indicator that you're not alone and listener, if this feels true for you, you're also not alone, but it's, it's pretty rare that someone says it was a warm, fuzzy environment that, you know, everyone had their share of airtime and I felt really seen and we did have those deep conversations and we explored. It's not completely absent in in the answers but it is is pretty rare and uh, it's also it sounds like you you had humor is certainly a way to connect as a family and so that's it, in, in some ways that that is kind of a there's a level of warmth to like we all laugh together right mm. and I'm also you know one of my come froms with that question is just understanding what you were like as a child. So I like, like the family dynamic is important, but also what was young Jen like? What were you like as a, a young lady? Mm -hmm. You know, it, just before I jump into that, it's interesting though, how my mind goes to create, like to wanting to fill in the story of uh -huh. like, like, 
oh, like family dinner is supposed to be this like warm, nourishing, engaging space. And I'm like immediately in kind of, you know, thinking like, wow, is that really, really what I had? And I would say it's still, I'm like, I'm still pleased. At least we sat at the the table together and had connection because even that I think can be rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and young me, man, I, I definitely, I definitely like, liked to be snarky. Like I definitely would be kind of, you know, get sit at the meal, kind of be observing what's happening and yeah. Like, is there a place to like, for me to insert some kind of joke? Mm-hmm. We definitely had a little bit of like mean humor, right? Like have you ever, we call it mean, mean funny my daughter and I and it'll be something like we don't really necessarily know how to make something funny without like kind of putting someone down a little bit Mm -hmm. and so there was always this kind of like oh how can we do that and that's something that I really didn't see in myself until like I always just thought it was cool and I was like oh really good at it and (laughs) but it wasn't something I really noticed until I was much older that that was actually not the way I want to be in the world yeah I think um otherwise at the dinner table I always sat with my we we had a a view of a pond at our house but I always sat with my back to the pond like let my sister sit on the other side so she could see my parents sat on the end and and yeah just tried to be I I was a bit observant of like okay so like what's what's happening if there's a conflict like do I need to mitigate or or help somebody re-understand or reword reframe i got really into like reframing well i think this is what somebody might mean or uh, this might be the the logistic actually and which is funny because then i eventually went I, I started my career in marketing which is all about like reframing re you know positioning so your career in marketing obviously that wasn't where you felt that you were meant to be and it's not where you are right now I think one of, in researching you a little bit, one of the experiences that you had that helped you shift out of the corporate world and into maybe just living from your truth, maybe for lack of a better way of putting it, is you went on, I believe it was a full year backpacking through Guatemala. Is that correct? Oh man, you did some good research. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. After school, I I went on a walkabout. Uh Uh-huh. That was a big moment for me of like everyone's graduating college, getting internships and like, you know, applying for jobs. And I was just kind of like, like did like total did not care. Like I was just like finishing school. I was bartending and working at a flower shop. And I was just like every penny that I saved. I was like, this could be another week, another month on a walkabout that I'm going to go on. And I'm just going to, yeah, I was just kind of sat back in that that freedom of that trip absolutely totally changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that gave you maybe the impetus among many other factors to start doing more inner work, more healing work, trying to maybe analyze and integrate who you were as, as a person. Is is that right? Yeah. And maybe even going back a little bit before that, because I it actually had a total meltdown in college. Mm. Like I, I, I grew up, I mean, one of the things with my family was, you know, super compliance based, like you do this because we said, so, you know, you do this and, and in school was like that, right? Like, this is how you get an A, you do this, 
you get the A. And I was like, very good at being like, okay. Like I could really read between the lines, really see what people wanted. And so that became a skill set of mine, which is a form of like lowercase trauma, right? Like lowercase yeah. C trauma. Um, <laughs> you know, like, okay, I can figure everybody out and that keeps me safe and I get rewarded. And then I had this total awakening in college of just like, wow. So everybody's happy doing this kind of stuff. And like, I just felt like so empty. And that was like my first awareness of like, so I'm, I'm doing all the things. I get all the grades. I, I'm, I'm achieving all the things that I meant, meant supposed to be achieving. I'm on captain of the volleyball team. I have the scholarship. I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm like, why? Like, why am I not happy watching The Bachelorette? All the other girls in the dorm are like half watching The Bachelorette. Like, why, why is this like driving me like insane? And I, yeah, I ended up doing like a semester abroad. And then when I was abroad, I was like, I can't go back to that school. So I transferred to a school in Boston and, and I just worked and I just, and, and finished school. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning was like, was like understanding. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know. I'm depressed or I'm something. I got myself my own. That was the first time I got myself a therapist. Like I was seeing the school therapist and then I, for whatever reason at 20, I was like, I was like, no, I need a real therapist. <laughs> I need like a, not that school therapist isn't real, but I was like, I need someone who's like really going to work with me on um, whatever I'm going through. And that was such a powerful moment for me to step into taking advocacy for my mental health and well-being. And then, and then she, my therapist at the time, you know, gave me a couple of books and that kind of just opened me from like a world of like, I was reading a lot of like dystopian, you know, like George Orwell and, you know, Fahrenheit 451 is like all these, like, like the world is ending kind of books and then kind of stepped into, okay, it's like self-help and philosophy and spirituality. And it was just kind of like opened me to a totally different space. And from that space, I realized that I can create my own reality and I can create the life that I want to live. And I want to go explore the world. It's, it was interesting. I thought that I wanted to explore the world. And through that walkabout, I really explored myself. It was like really the first time. I think traveling, if you have space to travel for over three weeks, you know, without having an agenda, without having, you know, even friends or family, I was alone. Mm-hmm. And didn't have to be anywhere, didn't need to, you know, report back to anybody, had the total freedom to like, to finally listen to my intuition, to hear, it was the first time I really started living in alignment with my intuition, like, oh, like maybe I should go here today. And, and then the synchronicities and, and just things started opening up and it, it was a very powerful time for me to, and then it's like every time you show up to a new hostel or a new social group, like nobody knows who I am. So I have this total freedom to step into being who I am, mm. who like who and who are you really? And then I had this whole identity crisis, like mid trip of, well, who am I if I'm not all the things that I thought that I was doing? Like I used to paint and I read these books and I did these things and those are the things that I was doing. And now I'm not doing those things right now because I'm traveling and I don't actually speak Spanish that well. So I'm <laughs> like, like, I can't express myself and be as funny as I thought that I was. And so it's like, who am I? 
if I'm not all these things that I thought I was. And so I really kind of let go of this concrete identity. And yeah, it was very powerful time for me. Yeah. I would love to just keep going on that thread. It sounds like you, in my experience, it's always painful to put down and let go of the identities that were given to us or prescribed to us. And in some ways, I, I imagine that you were lauded for having those qualities, being someone who was captain of the volleyball team, someone who was getting good grades. It sounds like you went to a good school. Like you were achieving the life that was laid out for you in a lot of ways. And the recognition that that wasn't working for you is a really, can be a really painful process. And in traveling, it sounds like it was, there was a level of recognition maybe in college. And then in traveling, it was really, I am not those things and then so like what what am I who am I and what am I really and I would love to whether it's from the lens of what you learned about yourself from traveling or when you saw your first therapist and started doing your more intentional healing work in whatever way you want to answer this I'm I'm curious to hear just what you learned about yourself in that process Hmm. a lot (laughs) I'm here for all of it. So I guess with my therapist, I remember, Oh, I remember the day I walked out of her office. I remember it's like on Newberry street in Boston or like over by Commonwealth in that area. And I was just like standing on the sidewalk after a visit thinking, and I just had that awakening. Like, Oh, like I'm not broken. Mm. I'm, I'm not broken all humans are complicated and all humans have their flaws and and complexities. And I'm just one of many people that all share in that space. And my parents are included in that. Like they're not perfect. I, I had had the assumption that everyone else is like happy and doing this life. And I'm just the broken cog in the, in the wheel of humanity. Like it's just me. And it wasn't just me. I was like, that was my most powerful aha moment in that beginning stage. I think when I was traveling, there was a time when I was in Ecuador and I was living at this hostel. I was painting murals. Um, I didn't, I, I spoke pretty good Spanish, but I, not enough. And, and most of the people that were kind of coming, it was like this remote surf hostel at this like surf break in between, kind of in between towns. So it wasn't like a really like social hub of a hostel. And when people did come, you know, we would be speaking in Spanish and I just really lost that part of my identity. That's when I really had that identity of like, okay, so I'm only Like the past does not, I had that awakening of like the past does not exist. Mm -hmm. I am only who I am in this moment and who am I going to show up as? And, and that whole like identity of who I had been doesn't exist here in this now. And it was like, it was a bit depressing almost. And I remember when I went to Columbia, I, like connected with a bunch of like Australians and all of a sudden, like we're, you know, speaking in English. And I just like had this like sense of like, Oh my God, I am funny. And like, I am all these things. And like, 
oh and it was like I got like a like a like the wind in my sail again I was like oh okay like I am these things so I realized how important expression can be and being seen and 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 most importantly it was living taking taking some intentionality into living each moment in the way that I want in the way that I want to show up in the way that I want to be seen and that I have the power to influence that to a degree because everybody else is looking through their own lens of perception it's a whole nother story but yeah so there is this like high of like traveling and experiencing new things this like total dip of identity crisis and like and then kind of coming back into like this like okay like so this is who I am and exploring like well what are the things that are important to me because I had you know, done all this achievement and, and had been praised like a lot for good grades, praised for, you know, doing all these things that are seemingly like by societal standards, mm-hmm. you know, like the good kid, right? Like the good kid that gets mm-hmm. the grades and I work hard and, you know, put in my effort. And af- after the trip, I bought a one-way ticket to Portland, Oregon, <laughs> where I kind of continued to like live into like, well, I actually love to paint and like love to be an artist and love to build community. And I really had this like empty stage to breathe into these areas that I hadn't had space for before my life. Mm -hmm. And I really got to embrace them in a way, like all my gifts. And it was like, you know, I, I, I went on this trip and I come to Oregon and, and all of a sudden it's like, you can't get jobs and there's no buttons on cell phones. Uh, that's what happened in 2008, (laughs) like, you know, the recession hit and all this. And and it was such a gift because I didn't have a container that was holding me. Like you have to take this job and do this thing. I ended up volunteering with a nonprofit called we love clean rivers. And I got to create totally with my imagination, an event that would like connect different, like different communities. And I got to create it completely from scratch with, you know, like everything and like the logo and, and use all these skills of like art and my marketing degree and my just like natural like connection skills. And so there was this like breathing into the uniqueness of a, who I am and utilizing all my gifts and discovering gifts that I didn't have and challenging myself in a way that felt like so alive. Have you heard of Dante's Inferno before? I have, but maybe refresh my memory. I mean, I'm like, I'm familiar with the concept. I'm curious what, in what context you're. Yeah. I'm only going going to paraphrase in the way that I've heard it described because I've never actually read the tale before myself, but the way that I have heard it described is that there's, I think Dante was the tragic hero who eventually is like, he's going through his own kind of identity crisis and maybe even in a literal sense in the parable in the story he literally gets incinerated and burned and it's like he has to let go of all the elements of who he was and that is obviously an incredibly painful transition and after the incineration and like getting through the fire and burning down all of the old stories the old habits old patterns you come out through that and there's this combination of well, what, you know, where am I? Who am I? But also there's this liberation and freedom of 
I could put all of that stuff down and now I have choice in, in the way that I want to live my life. And your story really reminds me of that in that you let go of a lot of stuff and that's so disorienting and can be so hard and not many people have the courage to actually put everything down and go explore for a year. And what is that going to mean about my finances? And what is that going to mean to my parents? And what about my peers? Like they're all doing life the way that it, maybe something's wrong with me. Right. And I really relate to that too, because I, I, as you were describing your experience in college, I had the same exact, it sounds like it might've hit you in a way that you responded more directly, but I looked around to my peers and it was like, they're all happy and they're all going to be doctors and lawyers and finance professionals. And I can't imagine doing that. And what does that mean about me? It wasn't, mm, maybe this is an invitation for me to live more intentionally. Maybe I, I can walk my own path. It was get with the program, you know, something's wrong with you, Mike. And, mm. and that did contribute in some ways there, of course, many things that we could probably unpack for hours and hours about what informed how I decided to go into accounting initially. But I think in a, in a large part, I thought this is what everyone else is doing. So why, what makes me special and what makes me different to march to the beat of my own drum in a separate way. And your story is a really powerful one that, that can open. I think we all can relate to, uh, yeah, feeling like something is missing or something's off in our life. And instead of maybe thinking this is something wrong with me, it's, it's actually an invitation of what, you know, what, what is missing? What, what am I wanting in my life? And the, the way that you were able to make that happen is a beautiful story. I'm, I'm really touched by it. Wow. I mean, I really appreciate your perspective on that. And I want, and, and I, and, and I so like, taking the invitation, like, look, if we could all look at life as when these inflictions come into our life that we are like, oh, oh, this is just information for me mm -hmm. to, to get curious about and look into. God, I wish I had had that awareness <laughs> at that time. Because I mean, the way it seems like you're perceiving my story, it feels like, like it, it was not easy. I'll just say it was, it was really like a gut wrenching. Like ha had I not had dreams that I was dying every night, <laughs> like just, I mean, I really, what I was, I was, I was clinically like depressed and, and just crying for days and really, I guess I don't want to use the word like suffering, but like I was experiencing a lot of pain around this, like letting go. And it's, and it was re had I not, had I not suffered so much and been in such a disoriented state, I, you know, maybe I would not have had, maybe I would have just been hoping I got the internship or the job or the whatever, and it would have taken a different path. Yeah. It was really through, through the, through the suffering and your, your point about Dante's Inferno, I, I, I was wondering if that's where you're going is with alchemy. I have this understanding of life that it's almost like a slinky, mm -hmm. you know, or we have these like peaks of, of experience of living into our ourselves and then a, a death and a dying, just like we have the seasons yeah. of the year. And we go through this actually quite often. And sometimes there are bigger shakeups and, and burnings in the flames than other times 
And, but we're constantly actually in this cycle. So if we can really open up to, you know, allowing these parts of us to die off. And Mm -hmm. if we're not living the life that we want to, like allowing that to just be, it's just information. Mm -hmm. Like it's just information that like something is not in alignment with my life right now. And I'm, can I just, can I, can I ground into that space and open up with curiosity and welcome it and, and find myself again. And then, and then leave into that, lean into that. And then I lean into that. And then I, and then I peek at that. And then I, you know, again, mm-hmm. which has happened like many times I've had many of these, like letting go of everything moments and stepping into a new me. And yeah, I want, it's something I want to normalize. Yeah. Normalize both the, how we cling to it that that's like part that's like okay and to just like notice when we're clinging to an old way that's not fitting for us anymore to say okay like all right i'm noticing that i'm clinging and now i'm going to not cling okay what's that it's scary because then we step into a space that's unknown right it's like uh, so many times we want to be in the known even if it's uncomfortable because mm-hmm. the unknown's like well what could happen mm-hmm. Yeah, we go through, in my experience, we go through lots of heroes journeys over and over and over again. And it's, it's, there's a call and we refuse the call. And then it's like, can't, we can't help but answer the call, but we have to let go of so much stuff. And I think that there's a way that I have looked at my life as maybe it's just this one linear hero's journey, right? Like I could, I go through something once and then I have arrived and then I am this ultimate complete human because that's, that's the way it's portrayed in a lot of culture and, and movies and. And in the, corporations, right. That's like, yeah. like, 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 like growth is supposed to be linear, right? Yeah. Right. Linear. And like the partner has their shit together and a staff person is just taking the orders from the, but anyway, I wanted to talk to you. This is a really, I think, a beautiful on-ramp into what you're doing with raising wholeness right now. Because if you are modeling, I think there's multiple layers to this, but if you're modeling in your own life that, huh, like I'm really disoriented right now and that's just information, your kid is going to internalize that. And also if you are with your child, like let's just say they're two or three years old and they are going through something that is painful and you're able to really be there with them they're learning it's okay to be in pain like that's information too and i would love to hear you just talk a little bit in whatever way you see fit just about what you're doing at raising wholeness like what's the mission of the company and there's a million different directions we will and can go from here but i'll start there oh man thank you so much i'm like it's it's true. There's so much to say here. And where to start? The part that's most alive in me is, so first of all, we help at Raising Wholeness, we help parents, teachers, caregivers, aspiring parents step into becoming and embodying a more self-aware like way of being so that they can show up more presently with their, with their children. And what ends up happening is that we have these, these moments where we, we slip, right? We go, we revert back. We we're tired we're whatever is happening and we're like not our best self. And so it's like, well, what's like, what's like, that's normal, right? It's normal. I think there's a lot of us that want to like do right by our kids 
and give them this like ultimate, you know, foundation to go off of. And, and like you said, it's, it's normalizing, you know, when we have these moments of self-discovery and, and not panicking necessarily about it. And if we are panicking, being like, okay, like I'm going to take responsibility for whatever's happening in me right now. And I'm going to, I'm going to say it out loud. I'm going to, I'm going to evolve out loud with Mm -hmm. my kid so that they can see that it's not scary. Like they're they're not alone, that there are, that this is a, just a normal part of being human and that it is information and to help reset their nervous system, right? Like my nervous system, I'm constantly trying to bring awareness into how can I reset my nervous system so that I'm not acting from a place of my wounds. Mm -hmm. And, and that's been really powerful for, at least for my daughter. And it's been really powerful just to have a community of other parents that are sharing in this journey too. And, and again, like the more we have shared language and understanding and practice, the more we can support each other and the more normal it becomes. And I, like, I think that's one of the biggest things I want to normalize that we all, that we all have trauma, that we mm-hmm. will traumatize our children to some degree. Mm-hmm. And, and like, it's actually like really helpful to like, you know, to, also it's like when we i say all the time it's like when you spill milk on the floor you don't leave it you clean it up and it's the same thing like when we you know get triggered with our kids or don't show up in a way or are responsible for ourselves in a certain way you know we we make sure to process that with them and so yeah we're helping parents teachers and caregivers like build that awareness Mm -hmm. i would love to start with so I think the self-regulation piece is probably a part that would get missed most often, right? There's very much a, like, we want to know, maybe I'm speaking from my own conditioning. I'm, I'm almost certain I am, but there's probably a way that we just want to know the right technique for parenting or like the right thing to say or whatever it is. And I, the more that I get into this work, the more it's it is that old trite adage that you have to put your own oxygen mask on first and i'm i'm just wondering how with nervous system regulation and and different practices that you have in your life like what how are you taking care of yourself so that you can show up to be the best parent or worker or whatever it is possible man this is so good. I mean, regulation is the foundation of all of it. Cause if we're dysregulated, then we don't have access to like parts of our brain that allow us to have critical thinking. So like, that is like the, the baseline of it. And I'll like share, like in my story, like usually a night owl, like I'll stay up late when I first had my daughter, Haley, uh, she's also come to find out a night owl and she would stay up late and she would sleep. She still does sleep still like eight if I let her. 830. And like, so I, I used to have my like me time was at night to like decompress. And when she was younger, I kind of lost that space. And so I, I, I realized how important it is for me to have my me time. And I had to take responsibility. I think a lot of it's really easy, especially if you've been brought up in a compliance based culture, where you're told what to do. compliance-based culture breeds victim mentality 
And so if you're not being told what to do all the time, or you're, you grew up in an environment where you're being told what to do all the time, and this is how you get rewarded. And this is, you know, how you, you know, get the A, and this is how you're going to get praise and affection. Then you become, it becomes habit and becomes almost a, you know, a survival tactic to just do what you're told, which then breeds the victim mentality. Cause now you're not thinking for yourself and advocating for yourself. And so there's this piece of, you know, creating the life that we want to create in the life we want, we want to live. And I wanted to show up as a parent in a way where I'm available for my daughter. And I have the awareness that if I'm not making that space for myself, then that falls away. And I just don't like I'm pouring from the empty cup, the, or the analogy used of putting your oxygen mask on before you put on your child's oxygen mask. That is so I use that one a lot. It's so true. If you don't, you can't pour from an empty cup. Like my daughter will ask me, you know, do you love yourself more or do you love me more? And I'm like, well, I can actually only love you to the extent that I love myself. Mm. And so I love you, I guess, as much as I love myself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to work on continuing to learn to love myself so that I can learn to love you more. And so when she was born and I started to kind of come into this awareness for me, for me, it's like, I need, I need to meditate in the morning. Like I need to wake up, meditate, read, or maybe move my body, do like some light yoga or or anything or some like myofascia release. And like, and, and then if I can get a cup of coffee in, or like a cup of tea before she wakes up. I'm like, okay. And, and that doesn't happen every day. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, then it becomes the, so, so that was kind of how it started was creating routine that helped me maintain a baseline. And what are the things and becoming aware of like, what are things that support my baseline? Then it was becoming aware of, okay. So when I don't have the availability to come into my routine, what are things that I can do with my daughter that, help me come back to a baseline. And sometimes it's just like going for a walk in the woods Mm -hmm. together or, or calling in for a favor with a friend or my mom, like, Hey, I'm not my best self today. And I really need some space to like connect with myself and like asking for that kind of help. And I'm not a fan of screen time because I know how much it can dysregulate. And if, if it's a choice between me, like, being on edge and taking an hour to myself or taking a long shower or having some space to meditate and a little bit of screen time, you know, I I think it's a, it's, we're always juggling, you know, and, and I think that's where it's like, how do we live in the present moment and become aware of our needs so that we can be able to do the dance? Like you have to be present in the energy of the moment to be able to like do the dance of, you know, what, what's, what's going to serve the bigger picture in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I'm struck by is that I think every parent would probably, every well-intending parent would probably say, I would want my child to speak up if they needed to be taken care of. And that the fact that you're modeling that is actually teaching Haley that it, you know, when you're not at your best or you need some space that uh, you're willing to speak for it. And she is then going to internalize that behavior and learn it. And she's going to be more likely to be independent and 
self-aware and ask her what she needs or wants, which is a really important skill. And I was also really struck by the the way that you can actually co-regulate, where even if you're not feeling like you're at your best, you can maybe just say that and say, let's go for a walk. This is really nourishing for me. It's a win for all type of solution there. She gets a little bit of exercise and outdoor time. You get the same you probably get to connect over something over the course of that walk. And it's a really simple yet win for all solution. And oh, there's so many things I want to talk about, Jen, but one of the, this has come up a couple of times already in the conversation. And I think it's a really important distinction to make. And, and maybe it's more in the practical, how do we talk to our children kind of, yeah, I don't know. The how do we talk to our children useful skill set? Compliance-based parenting or compliance-based demands versus de declarative language. I would love to hear you talk about that distinction. Yeah. Declarative language is allowing the child to it's it's like presencing what we're noticing. So a lot like if you're looking for a STEM, you know, it's kind of like I notice, blah, blah, blah. Like I notice that your shoes untied. And, and that's a perfect example. So like where I, I notice things and I act on them. I'm also 37 years old. So I have a totally different awareness of the things that I notice. My seven-year-old literally does not notice the towel on the floor that she just dropped. Like she, she literally dropped on the floor, didn't notice it didn't think twice about it. Now she's all playing with something else and, and it's totally out of sight, out of mind. You know, Hey Haley. And, and I'm just letting her know, no, I'm, I'm helping her notice what I'm noticing. So I'm like, Hey Haley, I noticed that the towel's on the floor and then pause, wait, give her the space and time to absorb what I said, to think about what's happening and to think if there's maybe an action to be taken after that. Sometimes if those those neural pathways haven't been built yet. They take time. Like, have you ever learned something new? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems, it seems simple. And I think a lot of parents will have like these stories that are most likely based off of generational trauma. It's like, they're disrespecting me. Whoa. Are they disrespecting you? You just have like, so now we're assuming that the child has negative intentions instead of assuming that they have a positive intention, which I think we all have positive intentions, even though our strategies might have negative impacts. So, hey, Haley, I noticed that the towel is on the ground. Give her time to think about it. She might come to the conclusion that's like, cool, towel's on the ground, that's fine. <laughs> you know, and I think that's like, the, that's the risk that you're, the risk, put that in air quotes, that you're taking when you give them space and time to, come to their own conclusions, but that time to come to their own conclusions that is the space where they build those skills for problem solving. This is all executive functioning. So this is places to build critical thinking, independence, you know, like figuring out how she wants to be in the world. And, and that those are, can also be like teaching moments. So when she walks away say, well, Hey, you know, let's explain that. Let's walk her through that. Obviously she didn't come to the same conclusion, but we have to give them the space to do that. Mm. Or, or sometimes I'll even let it happen again. Like, Hey, I noticed that you're, the towel is still on the ground. 
do you, do you know what happens to a towel when it's on the ground and it's wet? Like it can actually like, it could grow mold. Like it will smell bad. It will, you won't be able to use it and then we'll have to wash it. And then when we wash it, you know, when we're, we're doing excess laundry, that's excess electricity that we pay for that, you know, like I notice, I think about all those things. She has no idea. And so that's our, our job as parents and caretakers is to help guide them into this like human experience and to help expose them to all these things that we're noticing, not to, you know, punish them for not knowing the, these things that we already know. And I've done this with the, the shoelace thing. And she's just like, nah, I'm cool. I don't need my shoe tied. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, she's like, I'm comfortable with walking around without my shoe. I'm like, and then I have to assess, well, where's my level? Where's my threshold of safety versus her, her autonomy? Like, can I allow her to make her own decisions and to maybe trip and fall? Is it day? Are we on a hike? And I'm feeling like this is, and we're on like a kind of a steep area and this is not feeling safe for me. And this is like a safety thing. And now we're going to talk about it from that space. Or is she just like hanging out in the backyard? Mm-hmm. And like we're home and there's a level of safety. And in that space, I feel like my daughter has learned the best lessons from being allowed to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put mistakes in quotes. We now call those wisdom experiences. Mm-hmm. That was a reframing from my daughter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, it's, can we give them the space to, to explore and, and to fail or fail to build that's how we rebuild wisdom and experience is from learning when things work and things don't work Mm. Mm -hmm. do you use i'm guessing the answer is yes but i i am really connected to the healing power of food and i imagine that as a parent i'm going to have all sorts of opinions that i'm going to and all sorts of wisdom that I'm going to want to impart on my children. And I, and I look at it as something where maybe I will give them a level of education about it and say, this is why daddy eats this food. And we're encouraging you to eat this food, but you you, ultimately, I'm not going to shove it down your throat. If you, if this isn't something that you want, I'd be curious to hear how you would look at, look at using declarative language versus compliance-based parenting for things like food or, and also this might be a really obvious example, but it's something that came up like in really dangerous situations, how you would handle, say you're, you're near a fire and your children, your child wants to maybe like put their hand near the, the flame or something like that. What, how you might respond in a situation like that. That's a great, that's a, these are such great questions, Mike. There is a, there is a place for compliance-based parenting and it is absolutely around safety. Like if the child is, and especially in those like really early years where there's not a lot of like cognitive understanding and they're exploring their physical environment, you know, there's just like, you know, and there's a place of like, how am I showing up in that moment? Am I like, don't touch that, you know, (laughs) okay. Like now I'm scared myself, you know, maybe my kid pooped themselves in that moment. Um, you know, or 
am I showing up calm and just saying like, Hey, you know, we're not going to touch that. That's dangerous. And this is why. And they, and I think that's one of the things in the compliance based space, when we're talking about like safety and, you know, is, are we coming from a place where we're regulated? And sometimes we're not right. It's like they jump there. We're in a parking lot and they start running and it is scary and we do get worked up and it's like, and that's okay. I want to say like, that's totally normal Mm -hmm. and okay. As a parent, like if you're upset about your child doing that, like, of course, of course. And can we help them? Like if, if it did scare them, can we just like help them process that, mm-hmm. you know, help them move through that, like slightly traumatic event for them, you know, that like, cause that yeah. that's where those imprints come from. So can we just, yeah, like welcome that in and then in, and re-regulate in ourselves, right? Like if, if it brings us to a place of like, we're being regulated or dysregulated in the moment, you know, can we just take, take ownership there? And I think like when they're, and when they're really little, this is the other thing. It's like when we, if you're in that compliance based space or not even compliance, just like creating boundaries, mm-hmm. the child doesn't have a lot of, doesn't, is still developing the pathways for a past memories. So they're really living in the present moment. So when you're like, when you're talking to your three-year-old and you're like, remember when we did this yesterday, they don't remember. So helping them remember and and repeating this, like, no, we can't touch this. No, we can't touch this. And some parents, I think it's, and I think it's probably because culturally we have these cultural shadows and wounds and traumas and it's, you know, like, like how many of us have like have a trigger around, like not being heard, mm-hmm. not being seen. Like, I mean, I think, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> hand raises all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> like so many people have had that. Of like, oh, like, 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 like no one listens to me. Like we have that in us. So when our children don't listen and they're a toddler or they're younger, it, tr- we get triggered by this. Like no one's listening to me. No one's respecting me. That lives in us the child doesn't have the memory capacity to remember what happened yesterday. And it's not that they're not listening. It's just, that's where they're at developmentally. And it's actually our job as a parent is to continue to remind them of the boundary with love. And if we're getting triggered by the boundaries, that's a whole other bag of, okay, like, well, why, why am I getting triggered by my three-year-old pushing the boundary? Mm-hmm. And like, where does that live in me? Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the, or can, can you speak to the stages of development, especially in the most formative child years? I think that that can provide a good background for understanding my three-year-old doesn't remember that I went over this lesson with them yesterday, right? So I don't know exactly what the stages of development are, but I would say at a young age, there isn't even, you know, in infancy, there probably isn't even an awareness of a separate self. And then eventually there's a, an awareness of a separate self. And then there maybe is an eventually, you know, oh, there are other me's in the world. It's like I'm a me. And then there's other me's and they have needs also. And what does that mean? So I, I would love to hear you speak in, at least at a pretty high level, what are the developmental stages in childhood? I, I love this so much. First of all, there are so many, many, many different models and frameworks that look at childhood development and they're all wonderful and they all have a lot of overlap in them. 
And one model that I really find a lot of just appreciation for is the stages international matrix by Terry Fallon. And, and in that we look at development through perspectives of consciousness, right? Like what are the different levels of perspectives and just how you're naming, like there is the me, there is the me and the you, right? And then so like, how does that evolve over time? And so, yeah, so that the, like, and so we kind of, I, in, in our classes at Raising Holes, we kind of look at it from that lens of there are like four stages in early childhood development, kind of like through adolescence mm-hmm. of this like first person perspective. And there are like two stages within that, right? In first person perspective, they're born into the world. They are just receiving information. They are crying. They are totally unable. So, we, and then we break. So there's, we'll look at it through a couple of lenses. There's like our cognitive capacity, how we're relating to the world, the perspectives that we can, that we can hold the language that we're able to, to develop and intake the re- and how are we regulating? I think is a really big piece. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say through all of childhood, we are developing our nervous system. So there are, we, we need to be co-regulating all through adolescence. So I'll just like put that as like a basic, but like when we first start, when we first come into the world, you know, we're in this receptive mode where we're receiving information. We're learning about our physical body. We have zero ability to self-regulate, which I, I'm just still shocked to hear when I, I want to say this gently because everyone needs to choose and do their, what works for them as a parent. And I would invite people to think twice about any kind of like, I need to teach my young child to self-soothe like that is at such an early age, like children cannot self-soothe like that does not come online. And then how they learn how to self-soothe is through co-regulation, which is our nervous system. So every time our nervous system gets heightened and we relax, we self-soothe ourselves, having the child in close proximity so that we their nervous system gets imprinted with our nervous system. Mm. So they're, affect you know so like hold so like having your baby in like a in some kind of pouch or swaddle or or wrap where the baby's really close they feel your heartbeat and they can feel that physical touch and they're when they cry in the world we respond to them they know they're they're building trust in us in the world that like they will be taken care of they're building attachment styles for people that are into you know how does codependency or anxious attachment style or all these things are starting to form actually at these stages and they're starting to learn language, even though they, they, they are little blobs of goo for those first couple months, you know, they're, they're absorbing everything we do. They're absorbing our nervous system and how we react. They're absorbing our language and what we're using, how we're talking to them. So everything is very receptive in those first years. And then it's like they receive enough information of how the world is kind of working and they start to take action. And one of the layers that we look at too is, is play. Like how are we supporting? And I love, I love occupational therapists. And I, one of our collaborators is an occupational therapist and she just has the best perspective. And she says like the occupation of children is play. Like they're meant to play. And that is how they are learning everything that they're doing. And in that 
first year, they're or like, yeah, so around like one is when most kids kind of step into this like second stage of first person perspective and they start to take action in the world. And they're exploring their power and they're exploring what they can do. And all the play is about like cause and effect. It's not necessarily about, you know, like I'm like, I'm going to teach them Legos or I'm going to teach them this instruction. <laughs> it's just letting that they're, they're exploring the world. So giving them space to continue to explore their explore their power and explore cause and effect. And some people think that kids are like manipulative at this time. They actually don't have the ability to manipulate. What you're noticing is that they're realizing cause and effect that if they cry, they get, there's an effect that happens. There's a, you know, there's a result that's happening. So that's kind of that whole dynamic. They have no concept of of another person in this. So they're still in first person perspective. And it's not until you hit second person perspective that you start to realize that there is another self that there is not, you know, someone else has their own needs and they come into theory of mind. And so prior to that, like the concept of sharing and, you know, the kids aren't really in a lot of like collaborative, imaginative play usually before that. And they're not really sharing and, and, and that's okay. Right. Cause that's where they're, where they're at. And you can still let them know that the other child might be playing with something and they might take it. And that's, it's like, it's okay that that's happening. And you can let them know that that child might not like that. And that, that toy has to go back. And so it's kind of when we hit those walls in development of like, well, I want to do this, but it's having this other effect that that's what, helps them shift into the next stage because then they realize that they want to have friends and they want to be in collaboration. And so when they come into this second person perspective, they realize like, oh, you have needs too. And, and we can help them with that when we understand this. So something that I work on with my daughter all the time is speaking my needs. I want her to be able to speak her needs. That's how we negotiate. That's how we build relationships. And so I let her know, hey, you know, when, when we're playing a game or, or if it's just getting ready for dinner, getting ready for bedtime, you know, well, I understand that you want to do this, but mommy has a need too right now. And it's like, oh, you do. <laughs> oh, you have, you have a need. Oh, okay. So I start to like, we start to like welcome her into that space of like, okay. And, and knowing that that's so, so she's still coming into that second person perspective. That's still developing when she's dysregulated she might crash back into you know that toddler form that's okay like that's going to happen like we're all even as adults kind of fluctuating up and down the scale so there's a piece too i think for parents and caregivers is to in in why it's important to be present with them is to be able to like see is my child dysregulated in this moment or overwhelmed and they're kind of crashing back into an earlier stage. And we'll see that like at the playground sometimes, like we go to the playground and the child will actually kind of start, like maybe want to hang out or play by themselves a little bit, or they'll come back and just kind of want to be hugged a bit. And so that's them being overstimulated potentially by their environment or by the social, you know, especially post COVID, right. And like not being able to socialize as much, maybe being a little overstimulated and overwhelmed, a little dysregulated and they're coming back to you or they're going into a lower stage of development. 
to help them regulate and build more comfortableness before they go back out. It's like one of the things that we talk about a lot is like hug your kid until they let go. A lot of times when they're hugging you, it's partially because they're looking to regulate Mm -hmm. and they've been dysregulated. So they're going to hug you until they've, they're satisfied. They're back to a regulated state and then they'll go back off. And then this continues right into, and they, we come into a later stage of second person perspective and we come into, and that's when you start to see in adolescence, you start to see clicks, right? They, then now, now we learn that there are all these rules and negotiations to relationships. And now we can start to make rules that keep us safe. And so we start to identify with different groups and, and these clicks. And so there's this whole piece of development and understanding of where the child's at and and part of what's evolving through those different stages are also, you know, their concepts of time, like when they, how far they can see into the future. So if you're trying to get your seven-year-old to work on this five week project, like if they check out and they have no idea what you're talking about, it's because they have no concept of that far into the future. Like they might know like Christmas is coming. Cool. But like, if you're like, you know, in five weeks from now, we're going to be, you know, that's like, even like tomorrow is kind of like still a developing concept. Mm. One of the, I mean, there's so much in there that's really interesting. And I kind of want to keep hearing you gem about what's even beyond adolescence, what are the other stages? But I I think for the purposes of this conversation, we're, we're really just focusing on parenting for young children. And so we, we don't need to go there, but Maybe suffice to say that there are other levels of consciousness that we have not addressed in this conversation. And the one of the other things that sticks out to me is that when no matter what age you are, if we are reactive, triggered, the the example of, you know, you're you were saying that if you yell at your three-year-olds that they are they they don't listen to me, no one listens to me, no one understands me, no one respects me. That is us being triggered, reactive, and going dropping down on to a developmental level because there's probably some healing that we need to do around being heard. Like, you know, that was maybe a missed opportunity from our childhood or or something like that. It, it might, doesn't have to be from parents, but it's a wound that we can pay attention to. And I'm torn between two things, but for now, maybe I would, I would love to hear maybe like what parenting for yourself looks like in that moment where you go, Oh, I'm reactive. I'm triggered. I'm scared. There's, there are probably exercises in self-compassion there, but what, what might be something you'd go to for yourself in in a moment like that? Well, first, first and foremost, I just want to say that the child is meant to trigger you. (laughs) The, The child is perfectly designed to trigger you. If you are getting triggered by your child, welcome to being human. That is part of the human experience. And and if we can orient to it in a in a new way, it's actually like our greatest gift. So first of all, the child is in like receptive mode. Like their brain is literally in like these theta waves till they're seven. Like they are literally absorbing everything that you are doing consciously and unconsciously and it and they're absorbing and getting imprinted with your nervous system so even if you think that you're not saying something they're feeling it 
Okay. So like, 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 like don't kid yourself into some kind of like, Oh, well, I didn't say that I have body shaming issues. Like if you're, you know, uptight about your body and, and, you know, your, your child's going to feel that, you know? So, and then they're going to, and then they're going to like live that out and you're going to see it reflected in them. And so what's actually happening too. So not only are you seeing the reflection of yourself in your child, and that's why you're getting triggered and it's frustrating for you, but it's also going through it. So if you have this awareness of the developmental stages and you, and you can see this. So at each stage of development, your child will be reflecting back to you the different stages that you have your wounds at. And you have either that you have wounds or spaces in development that you haven't like fully breathed into that need more space and time. I'm like, in some ways, now that my daughter's in this like super imaginative play, I'm like, wow, what a cool space for me to be with her and to breathe more fully into like this imaginative play or when she was younger, like when she was feeling into her needs and these boundaries, like it was a big hella awakening for me of like boundaries and where I didn't have healthy boundaries as a kid or, or had too strict of boundaries and my whole orientation to boundaries and how that was being triggered in me. And, and it becomes this like amazing space for us to become more whole beings, to come into our wholeness and fill out in our development and reheal the wounds that happened through our childhood because they will be reflected in the child at each stage. So that could be, which is like in some ways, like an amazingly powerful gift for mm -hmm. our healing and development and evolution. So we get this child is absorbing our crap reflecting it back to us just so that we have the, and in that moment we have the opportunity to, to heal it. And if we can heal that in those moments, it's like, wow, not then the child doesn't have to fully live that out. They can live the healed version of you. Again, let's just be real. Like generational trauma is real. There is a lot of it. There's been, I think a lack in our whole society and culture to actually deal with that generational trauma. So if you are the parent waking up in this moment and saying, okay, I'm going to be the one to heal some generational trauma, guess what? You might not get to all of it. <laughs> and if you can start to become the filter in that space, like that is amazing. So I guess to like circle back to your actual question, what can you do? I mean, first and foremost, it's just like, I mean, if you notice, if you're noticing you're getting triggered, like I want to celebrate you. Mm -hmm. Like I want to celebrate all the caregivers and parents that notice when they get triggered. Because I think a lot of us get triggered and we don't want to admit that we are triggered or we just want to quickly, you know, maybe have a glass of wine or we just need to decompress and watch some Netflix or we need to move on or we say we're sorry, but we don't actually go back in and, you know, or really acknowledge what happened. And so if you're noticing you're getting triggered, like that's like half the battle right there is just having the awareness, like, wow, I'm triggered. And if you can become aware in the moment, oh my God, I'm triggered right now. I mean, whether you realize it after the moment, in the moment, it doesn't matter. Just having the awareness, like, wow, I'm triggered is like, celebrate mm -hmm. and then 
there are a lot, I mean, there are so many different forms of how to support yourself. I mean, I think it's like having a trauma informed therapist. There are EMDR therapies, internal family systems, shadow work, there's shamanic work that like soul retrieval, that all these different modalities that help us integrate these parts. But like when we're triggered, it's usually because of some kind of childhood wounding that has happened. And it could be a major trauma or like we say, like a lowercase t trauma, right? Like, like I broke a glass and I was shamed because I broke the glass. And now every time I make a mistake, I'm scared and that shame comes up for me. Right. So like, there's all kinds of ways that this stuff shows up, but to just start to get curious, I think if you journal and just start to welcome me, like, how is this feeling in my body? Like, what did I notice when that happened? You know, what was I feeling in that moment? What was I thinking? What was the, I think that's really like one of the biggest things. Like, What was the self-talk that was happening in my head? Mm. That can be really powerful to start to unwind. Was it the like, well, I'm not enough. You're, you're disrespect. You know, you're disrespecting yeah. me. Like what was the, what was the story that you were telling in your head? And can you start to, so then we're, then you're developing, you're actually in that process. We're developing like a, a fourth person perspective. We're starting to see ourselves instead of be, instead of being in the trigger and being the angry and being the frustration, we can step outside and start to observe ourselves in that moment. It's like, oh, I was experiencing anger. Okay. Well, what, what was happening there versus I am angry and and again, to normalize, you will get triggered and you will be angry and that's okay. It's like, I just want to like, like, it's okay. And there are things that you can do to start to un- unwind and unfold, like well, what was triggering you. So that doesn't happen again. Cause that's the thing with triggers. They're hitting a pattern and those patterns will repeat. So if you can start to notice these patterns in your life, it can be a really powerful place for healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a great answer. Thank you for, for all that depth. And there's a, a real humility in, in what I'm hearing from you and that parenting is just going to, it's going to hit you in all the spots that you are meant to be hit. And it, there's the, the welcome to being a human line is it's a breath of fresh air because even in, I don't, I don't know if it was picked up on, but there's definitely a way that in my question, I am, or there, there are definitely parts of me that want to be the parent that never gets triggered and never reacts and is, you know, perfect for my kid and always modeling and, oh, you know, when they're crying, that's an opportunity for me to be there for them. And, uh, and of course (laughs) there's no way that that's going to happen a hundred percent of the time or even close. And the, the invitation to, or the, or the celebration rather of just noticing that you're triggered is already something that is a marvelous. It's a, it's a huge achievement. It really is just to notice, Oh, I'm triggered. And what, what I'm struck by is that with my parents, they did an amazing job of if something did go awry, which inevitably happened, they would own it and apologize. I don't know how long it would typically take, but they were pretty consistent about saying that was my anger. That was my response. It had nothing to do with you. And just how incredibly healing that is. Like that is way more important than 
<laughs> all of the energy that you're going to expend trying to be perfect. And then your kid kind of sees that you're, it, you don't really mean that anyway. And it's, it's like what you were saying. It can become this jumbled mess. <laughs> It, 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 it's true. And that's really like, it's really powerful as a kid to hear that this was not your fault. I, I have my own stuff going on and I'm going to take time and make space for myself to be with that and to figure it out. Like I, I, and, and to follow through on that, like, Hey, and like, that is so important. Sometimes I'll even ask my daughter, you know, like, as a proactive piece, right? Cause there's the moments that I just get triggered and I, and I do something that I didn't mean or just really wasn't my best self. And then there's moments of, well, how could I do better? You know? And so we do this sometimes at bedtime. I'll be like, you know, how could mommy have loved you better today? Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, I, I could have had more hugs. Well, okay, well, we have, let's make a hug alarm and we'll have hugs scheduled throughout the day. That way we don't forget them. And we, so, and, and like, cause like part of that too, is I want her to know that when she speaks up and when she has a want or a need in our relationship, that those needs are met and they're taken seriously. Like her voice matters, like her needs matter her observations of, of how I could be a better parent are important. And, you know, if it's like, I just want to eat ice cream all day. I mean, you know, maybe that's not going to be on the agenda, but it's like, to be real, like she needed to be hugged more that day. I didn't do it. Okay. Well, tomorrow I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do to take action. It's such a tender and sweet question. How could mommy have loved you better today? And all of these things that we're talking about also, in my opinion, would apply really well to across the board, any number of different relationships, including definitely spousal intimate relationships, where if we are able to articulate our needs and take 100% responsibility when we have our own stuff that's happening, it just fosters such a greater connection. And that that I would imagine is only amplified when you're parenting because they are in, in such years that they're internalizing all of the ways of that you're modeling the ways that you're being but this does apply to all relationships it really does and i i just am appreciating that in this moment it's true i mean i think that it is it, i i joke sometimes it's like if you're the <laughs> if you're in like the leadership development world and you're learning all these things it's like like you're either leading Adult humans or you're leading tiny humans. There is really no difference. Relationships are relationships. You can use declare, you know, what? declarative language can be really powerful in a romantic relationship. It can be really powerful with your boss. Hey, I'm noticing, you know, that this happened and you know, like, like what, like sharing, sharing with people what you're noticing and allowing them to have the invitation to come to their own conclusions. It's interesting how our egos want to like give the conclusion all the time. Yeah. Like I'm right. Look at me. I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me. I know the answer. Well, I believe it's Gay Hendricks in Conscious Loving who said it, there's three definitive statements that you can make at any given time. It's I'm having the thought that I'm experiencing the feeling of or I'm experiencing a, this sensation in my body mm -hmm. are always ways that you can communicate what's happening in you. 
which sounds like a, maybe different expressions of the same thing with I am noticing in a declarative statement where you're just owning your experience without being attached to what the story is or how right you are, or you're just, you're just stating what is for you. And that's a powerful practice. I mean, I think that touches on two different things that I think are really important too, is how much A, we project onto other people mm-hmm. in building the awareness of our projections and B, checking our stories. Mm-hmm. I, like I've made it a practice of, you know, and, oh, and, and ownership language, I want to say too. Like there's a piece of owning and that ha- has to do with the projections, right? It's like, I'm owning my experience. I'm not saying what is true for you right? This, I'm not like, okay, well, you made me really angry and you did this to me. And now it's like, well, I'm, or you, you seem really angry right now. It's like, okay, like I'm experience. My experience right now is that you seem really angry. Is that true? You know, I have a sto- I have a story that you are really bored in this interview right now. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you're like, can't wait to get off. Is that true? Right. I, I'm, I have a self-talk that pops up. I'm acknowledging it in the moment and I'm being curious. I'm, with, I'm opening up to curiosity. Like, is that a true, and it could sometimes our self-talk is true, right? And I'm giving myself the opportunity to, to verify and to create a co-created reality with you in that moment versus isolating in my self-talk and separating myself from you and being like, oh, Mike must think I'm terribly boring. I'm just gonna well, get really quiet now. <laughs> hey, in this in this case, the story checks out. It's a true story. I am bored. I'm I'm checking <laughs> my watch. Let's get the hell out of here. Let's let's wrap this thing up. <laughs> well, I, I think there's if you have any other topics around parenting and raising wholeness that you want to discuss, I welcome that too. But the the lingering thought that I'm having is around screen time. And this, again, is something that isn't just about children and parenting. I think it is applicable to all. But I would just love to hear you talk about, in whatever way you see fit, screen time, uh, what's at risk when we allow for a lot of screen time, if we use screen time as a way to avoid feeling something, what, whatever way you want to answer the question. I'm going to answer that one second. I'm just going to check in with my daughter quick. Well, we're, yeah, we're talking about screen time. That Haley wants to say hi, if that's okay. Yeah. So Mike just asked a question about screen time. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it. Hi, Haley. Hi. Very so, nice to meet you. Haley, this is Mike. Hi, Mike. So Mike just asked me a question about screen time. We we're yeah. just kind of talking about, you know, what what's happening with screen time. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say some stuff, but I think you know a bit about blue light. Um, kind of, yeah. Okay. Is there something you want to say about it? Um, pretty much all I know is that it can affect your brain. And if, and especially if you have a developing brain, it can mess up that too. And it can like, and it's really bad for your brain. Yeah, yeah. And, and we don't want to use it all the time. I think no. there's a whole piece of we live in this digital age and we use computers all the time. I'm on a computer right now talking to you. I, you know, check my email on my phone. I use social media to promote my business. So I'm on social media. I totally get excited when people like my social media posts. Like, 
there is a total hormonal like dopamine effect that's happening right when we're you know in that space and with kids like their their brains are still developing i have the ability to become totally dysregulated by my screen time and i can say okay i'm dysregulated i'm going to go take some time and regulate after this my lady here is learning about that and doesn't always have that space. And sometimes we get a little cranky when we use screen time and then come off the screen time. And I just want to say like, that's, that's normal. Or sometimes I've noticed we're watching a movie and we're really squirmy mm-hmm. and we're sitting next to me and there's the squirmy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Haley's upside down on the couch watching the movie. And I'm like, what's going on? Do you not want to watch the movie anymore? And it's not that it's just that she's actually, she, by sitting upside down, by squirming, that's actually her stimulating her nervous system to come back into a regulated state because she's already surpassed regulation. Mm -hmm. And so as a parent, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. It's like, can we limit our screen time with our kids? Yeah, that would be really great. Can we limit, can we role model that though? And that that's really Mm -hmm. tricky. It's really tricky. You know, it's like, I'm running a business. Like I need to to do screen time. She sees me on the computer. Like, well, why do you get to be on the computer all day? And I don't get to, but we do a lot of education around. We talk about how screen, like screen, a screen is a screen. It doesn't matter if it's the TV, the phone, the iPad or work, the work, (laughs) it all, it impacts our brain the same Mm -hmm. and our bodies. Or even if maybe you have a new client. Or if I have a new client. It's green. It's green. <laughs> if only there was a, a, a tube that traveled all the way around the world that you could see their face on. And you would put your face on the tube. Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool, wouldn't it, Haley? Yeah. Instead you seem of- like a great noticer of things. You seem like you notice a lot of things. Yeah, you know, except it probably wouldn't work since that two would have to take at least one turn, which would not, would block your vision of, like, you can't, like, see really far and then turn your eyes and, like, do that hmm. through a tube. Through a tube. That happens. You can only see, like, if this was a tube and this was this, you can only see this wall. hmm <laughs> We would have some challenges, yeah. So maybe maybe we can't do that just yet with the tube. But maybe one day, right? One day. Hmm. We were just talking about like parenting and like the work that I do. What do you think is important for parents? To learn how to be a better mom. And how would how would we do that? By your coaching classes. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you very much. <laughs> what was that part there? He goes, oh, by your, by your coaching classes. <laughs> what, do you think they, what do you think they learn? How to be a better mom. That's it? I don't know. You don't know. I don't, I've never been on one of your coaching clients, mom. That's true. Ooh, maybe that will be, uh, maybe that will be the next episode of coaching clients. Okay. Maybe we can make like, also not just that, but like, your friends can like, like new coaching clients can like come in and bring their kids. And if their kids, this is a choice, their kids can choose to want to do 
um, just like how to be a better parent. You can, like, kids can choose to how to be a better kid, then they can sign up for your coaching classes and they can go on the phone call with their parents. <laughs> like that. All right, we'll work on that. We'll, we'll storyboard that out later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love that. That's a, I would sign up for that course. <laughs> <laughs> Except you're not a kid. Well, I'm I'm kind of a kid. I have the I have the spirit and the energy of a kid sometimes. The spirit of a kid means truly to be a true a personal kid. <laughs> you know, I feel like you know it brings up a good point though of two things. Like one, I think that there's so much with kids of trying to you know, bring them up for the adult world and get them ready for work and put on this responsibility. And I feel like as a coach, I work with people to remember their, their play to remember, you know, like when we find our purpose and we, we step into our greatest gifts, like, like work feels like play and we are of service. And so, you know, how, how do, how can we role model prioritizing our play and, and and actually play with our kids which i'm working on i i don't i'm not always as good at as at the play every time you say play it reminds me of us playing frisbee in the summer in the yard and i keep on thinking play more (laughs) more play it is an interesting as adults we need we try and reteach ourselves a lot of times how to be more like children because being a child is fun you're naturally curious you're naturally explore you like to play you like to world build Haley I hear you're very imaginative like I said those are those are great qualities beautiful things to have right so it's like how do we you know so we spend all this time deprogramming adults to come back into their true essence so it's like how do we actually just support children to Mm -hmm. live fully into that and it starts with Mm -hmm. us as parents role modeling it and I, I appreciate that you're like, oh, I'd like to come to your class because it's like, you can never start this work too soon. Mm-hmm. Like you can, like, like to anyone who is an aspiring parent who wants to maybe be a parent someday, like, ne- like, like start, start becoming the person you want to be as a parent now, like mm-hmm. start unpacking your childhood now, mm-hmm. you know, start becoming aware and an embodiment of the the kind of parent you want to be someday because that it takes an embodiment to role model these things. Embodiment takes retraining our nervous system and building different habits. And at the end of the day, I feel like when you live into the life of the person that you want to be, like that just feels good. Mm -hmm. Right on. Is there anything else about raising wholeness or your work or the way that you see the world that you want to bring into this conversation? I feel like we've had a a really rich and full conversation and I do have a couple more questions, but before that, I just wanted to check in with you and see if there's anything else that you'd like to bring in. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm curious. I'm really curious. My energy goes to the curiosity around your questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go with the questions. You, You did bring up that I don't know if it was in college or when you were traveling, maybe it was a combination of both that there were a couple of books that you read that maybe personal development, self-help that 
opened up something in you. I'd be curious to hear whether it's those books or others, if you had two to three or more books that you would recommend. It could be around parenting, consciousness, anything. It's funny because I feel like I had this conversation actually recently with a friend and there there's something about the the serendipitous timing of life when you read the book. So I don't know how much it was necessarily the book as it yes, was yes. about like the timing of the moment that I received that book and, and opened me up. And one was Walking on Eggshells, which is a book about narcissism and, and growing up around narcissistic people. The other was Conversations with God by yeah, Donald Walsh. Yeah. Who he actually writes this really beautiful children's book about your light and like honoring your light in the world and, and what it means to be human. It's really wonderful. So yes, yeah. another book I'm trying to think the Tao of Pooh was like really a pivotal moment for me. And then it was like getting into, cause there, oh, the, the, the Tao of Pooh for anyone. It's just such an adorable book, but there is kind of this, like relaxing into life at that stage for me of realizing that it's in the nuance. It's in that beginner mindset that like life really becomes fun and enjoyable and, and that curiosity and to be, there's a bit of around, you know, Winnie the Pooh, how he is like, you know, like compassionate with himself, you know, it's like, he makes mistakes, he rolls around. It's like, it's okay. And he's trying stuff and he's creative. Mm-hmm. And then I think something that was just, it wasn't a book. It was a process and an experience was getting into shadow work. Mm -hmm. That absolutely transformed my life. I took, I think all the classes that they offer at Stages International with Kim Barta. Kim Barta is just an amazing shadow work um, professional he's combined psychotherapy with shamanism in this like psycho shamanic way of navigating trauma and that awareness of what's happening internally inside of me being able to have that level of clarity on my internal process and to build a, a process of how to support myself through it has just been by far the most profound experience that I've had to date. Mm-hmm. And I feel forever thankful for that work. Mm-hmm. What is an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? The sunrise, mm-hmm. my first cup of coffee in the morning, <laughs> a hug, a hug. Yeah. Get to experience it in real time. Yeah. Yeah. We're, for those of you, I'm hugging Haley in this moment. The organization that you wanted to, well, every episode I raise awareness for and donate to an organization of your choice or or whatever guest is on's choice. And your organization is Speak With Purpose. And I'm wondering if you wanted to say a word or two about what Speak With Purpose is. And yeah. You know, so I had the chance of meeting with Speak With Purpose. I guess it was we met with them two years ago when we went to Whidbey Island and I was consulting with thriving communities. And first of all, the woman who 
has created this Toya is just amazing. Has like such a vision. And I feel like in some ways it's a complimentary organization to the work that we're doing. Like we're helping parents like kind of compost these old ways of being and, and helping them step into a more self-aware space to raise children in this way of wholeness. And they're just creating space in schools for children to like step into their authenticity and their voice and to like really step into their wholeness in a, in a different on the kind of almost on the other side of what the work that I'm doing. So I just feel really passionate about what they're offering children and, and how, and how empowering it is for children to have space to be able to express themselves. So they teach kids how to speak with purpose and mm -hmm. to be heard and, and creating space for them to be heard. Beautiful. Well, I will, like I said, I will be donating to, I'll link it in the show notes. I will link all of the resources, books, I'll link EMDR, internal family systems, the stages of development, stages international, and BARDA, all the resources and people that were mentioned, I'll link to the show notes. And the final question that I ask every interview the podcast is called Mike Search for Meaning, and I would love to know, in your words, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? I mean, when you ask that, I'm so curious, like in your podcast, like you have a synopsis of, of your meaning and the meaning of life. I, I don't know if there's like a, a specific meaning other than learning and I guess I'd say like learning and deepening into what it means to be human like just this forever journey of like the more subtleties, the more awareness that I can build. I think too, it, it's not just, so there's like the meaning of, of like what I can do to like live my life or like what I think we're here as humans to do. So like, I think that we're here to just continue to learn to deepen into ourselves and, like the, like get to know ourselves through getting to know ourselves. We get to know like the rest of humanity, integrating back into our wholeness, healing general. But I feel like there's a greater collective part of humanity of like when we clean these collective wounds and we hear this heal collective trauma through our own inner work, you know, there's, I, I don't even know. There's just like more of freedom and space for emergence and things to live in this more, like free, inviting, thoughtful, integrative, regenerative ways. And, and all that feels sourced through love and steps more and steps us more closely into just being in, in love with ourselves, in love with each other, showing up and loving the world in a way. So the more I love myself, the more I can love others and love right now i feel like that's what we're here to do mm -hmm. it's a beautiful answer and a beautiful way to close a beautiful conversation so jen thank you so much for taking the time to be here it was a a very personally meaningful conversation and i think that as we named multiple times in the conversation this is not only to be a more dynamic and whole parent but to be a more dynamic and whole and integrated human. And that that does permeate to all areas of our life. And I know that 
there are other things that we didn't even talk about in today's conversation that are really important to you, like sustainability, building communities, being really belonging in communities that are doing work that really matters to us. And it really does all start with these types of one-on-one -on -one relationships. And the parenting relationship is one of the most important, if not the single most important one-to-one -one relationship that we can have. And it, of course, it's not in isolation. You don't have to be just parenting on your own island, but it is a, a bond that has such an impact on the way that we develop and grow and show up in our life. And you're doing really beautiful work around it. So I appreciate you coming on my show and exploring all of this with me. Thanks, Mike. I really, really appreciate the space to share your questions. I felt very engaged and seen and yeah, just appreciating your presence. Thank you very much. And to all of the listeners, I hope that whenever you are listening, that you have a wonderful rest of your day or evening. And as Jen said earlier in the conversation, you are not broken and take good care and lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well and keep living with purpose. Peace.